Directors Special Meeting of November 18th, 2021 to order. I am Jeff G, the board chair. This board meeting is being conducted pursuant to provisions of the Brown Act and in compliance with the California State Assembly Bill AB 361 to facilitate teleconferencing to reduce the risk of COVID-19 transmission at public meetings. Ordinarily, the Brown Act sets strict rules for teleconferencing. AB 361 has suspended those rules. This meeting is being held during a proclaimed state of emergency and state and local officials have imposed or recommended measures to promote social distancing. As noted on the agenda, members of the public may observe this teleconference meeting via SFGov TV, and they may offer public comment by calling the published public comment phone number. I'd like to welcome the members of the public and staff who are watching this live on SFGov TV, and I'd like to thank the SFGov TV staff for their support and services. Mr. Secretary, could you please call the roll? Thank you, Chair G. I would like to note that Director Chang will be sitting in as Vice Chair Manaman's alternate and Director John Baptiste will not be in attendance for today's meeting. Uh, directors, please respond when I call your name. Director Chang. Present. Chang, present. Director, Director Lipkin. Present. Lipkin, present. Director Shaw. Present. Shaw, present. Director Tumlin. Present. Tomlin present, Chair G. Present. G present. Both Director El Tawazi and Director Forbes are expected, and when they arrive, I will make note of it. Um, directors, we have quorum. I'll proceed to call your next item. Uh, Mr. Secretary, before we proceed, I'd like to just share with the board and the public, due to a personal commitment, I will be leaving the meeting in about half an hour and handing the reins over to Director Chang. Um, so before I step away, I'd like to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving, best wishes, and enjoy family and be safe. And we will see you at our December meeting. So, Mr. Secretary, can we continue, please? Absolutely. Directors, item three is communications, and we'd like to remind the public that the public comment process is listed on the agenda and streaming on the screen. I'm not aware of any communications from the board besides Chair G informed that he has to leave uh, in 30 minutes. Seeing none, I will continue to call your next item. Directors, item four is board of directors, new and new and or old business. I'm also not aware of any. I will continue to call your next item. Directors, item five is the executive director's report. Thank you, um, Secretary Pollitt, and good morning, directors. Um, I'm sure we're all thrilled that um, that Congress approved and President Biden signed the uh, the long-awaited $1.2 trillion Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, um, which uh, provides a historic level of uh, funding for infrastructure, including transportation. Um, the uh, the funding in the package uh, will help advance the DTS project, and we are evaluating our uh, funding requests against the numerous upcoming competitive uh, funding opportunities, with um, many of them available on an annual basis uh, for the next five years. Um, so, again, great news, good timing um, for uh, not just DTX, but uh, but all of uh, transportation. Um, the uh, 
The uh, opportunities, these include the uh, capital investment grants, uh, RAISE and CRISI programs uh, under the, the U.S. Uh, Department of Transportation. Our federal advocates uh, are going to join us uh, in December to provide an update to the board on the funding opportunities that uh, uh, will be available to us. Um, passage of this uh, once-in-a-generation infrastructure investment couldn't come at a better time. Um, as we recently submitted our uh, letter to the uh, Federal Transit Administration requesting uh, entry uh, to the Capital Investment Grants New Starts Pipeline. Uh, overall, um, the, uh, the package uh, provides $23 billion for New Starts, uh, which is uh, double the amount typically provided in the program. So um, lots of great stuff coming up ahead. Uh, FTA has um, has confirmed the receipt of our letter, so um, it's going through its normal review process and all uh, is on schedule as we have uh, planned at this point. Um, our team continues to advance the, the CRISI application uh, to submit to the Federal Railroad Administration. Um, that will go in just after the Thanksgiving, it's due just after the Thanksgiving holiday. We are going to try and get it in there maybe before so uh, we can enjoy uh, the, the holiday without the stress of getting it in there. But um, uh, we're uh, teeing it up and it, it is just about uh, ready to get submitted. Um, with the funding split, split between federal and uh, local shares of the 10 million we'll be requesting, uh, the grant will advance certain design and uh, programmatic management documents, including right-of-way tasks. Um, we're also encouraged uh, by the support from uh, very elected officials, uh, labor and stakeholders for our CRISI application. Um, you know, we, we, um, we mentioned uh, previously, uh, thanked all of our supporters for the uh, their outpouring support that um, uh, showed for our CFD bond issuance uh, that, that recently closed. Um, but they have also come out with great support um, in, in terms of our Chrissy application. Um, we know that speaking with one voice resonates with decision makers in D.C. Uh, and we're doing everything we can to do uh, to put our uh, best foot forward um, in a highly competitive national environment. Um, in preparation for the state legislative session in January, uh, we uh, continue to collaborate with uh, our regional partners to advocate for additional DTX project funding. Uh, this includes uh, close coordination with MTC as the Bay Area develops our transportation budget strategy and asks. Um, and so I touched on this, but I'm happy to report officially that uh, the uh, we uh, closed on the 30 million in community uh, facilities district bonds earlier this month. Uh, this uh, funding advances the DTX project forward um, and uh, continues on this great momentum that we've built over the last uh, year or so. MTC uh, approved our uh, $1.2 million ARPA funding, uh, which will be used to, to uh, help cover operational costs. And um, we continue to provide tours uh, of the center. The um, Last month, um, it included board members of the Sacramento-based Local Government Commission, um, which uh, in, is uh, com com consists of mayors and council members located throughout the state. Uh, we as well gave a, a tour to the San Francisco Building and Construction Trades Council. Um, it was great to for the members to see their work uh, after it had been completed, you know, um, without uh, the hard work of all of our um, brothers and sisters in, in, in the unions, um, we wouldn't have been able to deliver such a, a beautiful facility. And so it was great for them to see uh, what the final product looked like after the fact uh, while they were in their uh, non-construction clothes. And then uh, also uh, as they got excited about what's planned for DTX and the work that's upcoming. 
We also hosted a tour for Evan Reed. He's the International Affairs Advisor for Lieutenant Governor um, Kulakala. I always, let's see, Lieutenant Governor Elani. No, um, uh, it, he was very impressed with the uh, center and um, uh, we were glad to be able to uh, to show him. The governor, of course, has been a great supporter of the uh, project uh, and program as well. We're also uh, glad to present uh, to the Barrier Council Transportation and SFCTA's Expenditure Plan Advisory Committee um, on DTX. These presentations um, were uh, done in the uh, month of October, and um, as we continue to, ex you know, continue to raise awareness uh, and visibility for TJPA, the center, and DTX, those presentations as well as others uh, continue uh, will continue in the in the near future. Um, we keep the staff busy, uh, <laughs> making sure we uh, we uh, keep the project on the uh, forefront of folks' minds. Uh, in regards to the center, uh, things uh, have continued to improve. As you know, the um, we we get back to what we look at as our our new normal, but um, we're continuing to track the city's uh, response to COVID nineteen, and we're asking our you know visitors to stay vigilant with masking in the center, uh, except when on the rooftop park. Um, we're continuing to increase the programming activities at the park, and um, it's really great to see that uh, there are more visitors at the park. Um, I think it's a great opportunity for folks to um, uh, to get some fresh air, and what a beautiful place to do so. Um, we recently brought back the uh, recess cart. It's filled with books and other amenities for visitors to enjoy, and uh, this offering was a favorite of the park visitors before, so we're glad to be able to bring this back. And then in, in anticipation of the holiday season, uh, we're gonna offer holiday activities, which include a holiday lighting event uh, and a weekend of fun for visitors and families to enjoy in the middle of December at the park. Uh, John will speak more to this during his facilities report. Um, security operations uh, update is on uh, under this item. And it's in follow-up to a previous request from Director Shaw at a board meeting uh, earlier this year when we approved the uh, recent security uh, contract with um, Allied Universal. Uh, so we've added a security operations update to today's agenda. Um, Chief Security Officer Rodney Harris will be providing the update and then we'll do this quarterly to the board. Um, Staffing. So, um, as you know, we've been working to create depth in the agency uh, as we grow to meet the demands of the transit center and the impending delivery of DTX. Um, so, uh, as such, I, along with uh, staff, we've been working to recruit new personnel to join us, which includes finance. We're grateful to have uh, Franklin Wong on as our CFO, uh, facility operations, uh, DTX. Alfonso uh, has been a great addition. Um, and of course, um, the executive director position. I'm happy to report um, that, although somewhat bittersweet, you know, John is retiring and, and that's a, a loss for us. However, happy to report that uh, we've hired a new facility director uh, who will be, um, I would, uh, will be coming in to uh, fill or attempt to fill John's, uh, John's role. I'm sure she'll do a great job. Um, uh, he retires. Uh, end of this year, uh, maybe early part of January, uh, but uh, Jen Norris uh, will start with us on December 1st. It's going to uh, allow for um, her to work alongside John uh, and ensure a smooth transition uh, as they have about um, uh, several weeks to, to train and transition. Um, Jen uh, will come to us from um, uh, she, well, she's currently uh, with the city and county of San Francisco. So another 
great find through uh, one of our sister agencies, and um, we're glad that she's going to be joining us. So she'll be here at the December meeting. John will introduce her to you all. We'll introduce her to you all. Um, and that that directors concludes my report. I'd be happy to take any questions before John or Rodney provide their updates. Thank you, Interim Executive Director Gonzalez. Directors, any questions at this time, or would you like to wait till the very end of the other two reports? Not seeing any hand in the raised, so why don't we continue? Great. He's on. Thank you, Chair G. Good morning, members. I'm still here. Uh, so, Jason, do you want to bring up our presentation? And by the way, you are going to love Jen. Uh, enjoyed working with her with the city and county as a colleague for the last decade and a half. Uh, terrific, uh, terrific addition to the team here. So facilities update. Lots to report on over the last month since we last talked. Uh, you see a list of the events we had, some attendance numbers for you, just to give you some context. The Lowell High School dance was 450 on property. We had over 100 here for a day-long furniture promotion by Hayworth Company, and then another 70 for the silent disco Halloween party. I looked for each of you at the silent disco in your uh, rain outfits, but I did not see you. Uh, wayfinding efforts, of course, they continue, will always continue uh, to, to make uh, improvements, particularly temporary directional signs. As we find areas that are a bit lacking or confusing for our patrons, we're adding a few signs here and there uh, as an interim step while we continue moving forward on the broader wayfinding effort with our working group that Lily is leading. New amenities that Neela mentioned uh, shown here. Uh, also want to note that uh, we had a record uh, post pandemic. We had 241 in the park on Thursday, Veterans Day. Uh, not surprising, right? This has really become a neighborhood amenity. It's a holiday, a beautiful day. And so that is terrific to see. Uh, also, as mentioned, uh, Neela noted our holiday events coming up. So we have a lighting celebration coming up on the 30th of November from 5 to 7, variety of activities. We've asked uh, our neighbor, Andy Town, to uh, stay open late uh, to serve customers a little extra hot chocolate. And we'll have some carolers and lots of fun for the family. And then December 17th through the 19th, we will have a weekend full of family festivities. Uh, part of our winter fest, and that will uh, culminate in a double feature movie uh, Sunday night. So you're all welcome to that. I know you will be receiving invites uh, from Lily on that soon. Sightings in the area. Well, we had a few rare birds show up, one of which became the subject of a Chronicle article, The Oven Bird, uh, mysteriously lost from its normal East Coast location. Uh, always happy to welcome any visitor here at Salesforce Park. We also had uh, an unwelcome visitor, and that was a storm on October 24th. Uh, kudos to the crew, um, to our contractors. So really want to thank Lincoln, the security team, our custodial team, Gachina, Davy Tree. They all jumped into action uh, to address uh, a number of trees that we had braced or trimmed uh, to protect. We did lose two. Uh, one has already been replaced as of this morning. In fact, it was installed. Uh, so we're, we're back to normal and have recovered from that event. 
quick update on ridership. Uh, AC Transit was kind enough to provide us some information that uh, is very encouraging. As you can see here, trending in the right direction. Uh, so that's the good news. The bad news is the context, which is that this is still about 12% of pre-pandemic numbers. But I love the trend. We're on the right path. So very encouraging to see. Similarly, in our discussions with building managers surrounding us, we saw a similar uptick. We've also seen a plateau and a slight decline, which is typical for uh, late November and December in San Francisco. There usually is a bit of a decline during the holidays. And then we're gonna see quite a resurgence, I believe, come January uh, on all fronts. Uh, also want to note that ad interest uh, is ticking up, which is very encouraging. And of course, important to us that our uh, media opportunities, important revenue source for us as well. And so we, we do see some encouraging signs there. Again, the context is from our media partners that San Francisco does tend to lag the rest of the country uh, in its return uh, for sufficient eyeballs uh, to be able to sell advertising but our rates are moving up and our interest level is moving up. Also, all is encouraging. On to retail leasing. So uh, this is getting a little simpler uh, to describe because we really, all we have are six suites that are available for lease. That's about 8,800 square feet that is available for lease out of our nearly 100,000 square feet. So all the rest is committed and under lease. Doesn't mean it's occupied, uh, but as you know, and as I will report uh, further here, uh, it's under construction and it's committed uh, to tenants. One change we are reporting here is Suite 103, the Eddie Rickenbacker space. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the owner uh, has chosen to uh, exit from that space. The numbers just can't work uh, really at any level. We did an extraordinary effort working with him to try to see if there was a workout that could uh, that could be had. Uh, fortunately, he has been amenable to allow us to put the space back on the market quickly. Uh, we have good value in the improvements that have been made to date. So these landlord improvements really were necessary to move to a warm shell from a cold shell. So that's a, that's a value add for us. We stopped this project before we started spending serious, very detailed tenant improvement uh, uh, that were specific the Eddie Ricks uh, layout. So we're at that point where pivoting was a possibility and we have made that in Collier's is back out to find us a new tenant. We'll keep you posted on that. And an improvement updates. Kitchen exhaust, that very important, crucial base building improvement is at 95% complete. So we're almost there. And now we move to the complex system control operation. Uh, that is going well. Discussions with uh, a number of contractors and subcontractors who have to make sure the system operates as intended. Uh, that is moving along nicely. We're on course for completion of the rest of the base building improvements by the end of this calendar year. Ongoing tenant improvements are listed here. You see them. Uh, I would say that Venga would probably be the next to open very early in Q1 of 2022, uh, and uh, several others will follow closely thereafter. On the next slide, we show a little bit of an update as we understand it from our uh, 
retailers as to when they anticipate opening. A couple of uh, movements, uh, Kaiser Permanente, March, April, May, somewhere in that timeline, they believe they'll be ready to open. As you can imagine, there's a lot of uh, uh, coordination that has to go on relative to vaccines, boosters, and staffing requirements uh, while trying to open up a new uh, prototypical clinic. Uh, so they're they're being cautious and they want to open and they want to open successfully. So we're, of course, supportive of that. They are a rent-paying tenant as of today, but we, of course, would prefer they be a rent-paying open tenant. So we're working with them. Uh, they do have an ad-buy uh, anticipated for Q1. Uh, 2022. So that is also an encouraging sign that they're committed to the center and to opening their facility. Uh, Aqualina moved a bit. Uh, that was in uh, close discussions with uh, that owner uh, to coordinate when he believes uh, his work will be done. His kind of improvement work is a little bit uh, uh, more complex than some of the other locations. And the same with per diem. That's a fairly complex tenant improvement as well. Some of this is due to material supply chain shortage issues, staffing issues that all have similar concerns about staffing up and having adequate staff so that when they open, patrons are satisfied and happy with their experience. So uh, nothing you're not hearing about in the news media, it is affecting us as well to some extent. Lastly, a quick visual look at the uh, work going on on site. Everywhere there's a caller and there's a contractor, which is great. And you see the list of the contractors either working on base building work for TJPA or working on tenant improvements directly for our tenants. Happy to answer any questions that you might have. John, thank you for your report. Glad you're still with us. Appreciate it. Directors, any questions for Mr. Updike? Not seeing any, so uh, I think we have to, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Dr. Shaw. <laughs> That's okay. Um, great report, John. Thank you for all the work. I just have a question. It's really exciting to see the number of events that are going on up there and what you put in there. And I didn't know if there's any correlation. Do those events have food and do they work with the vendors that are within the Salesforce Center to try to have that be a, you know, have the, the vendors be able to to take advantage of some of the events that are going on as well. Is that is there coordination there that kind of helps to, you know, support the vendors as well as the parties? Yes, we're doing everything we can to connect up uh, promoters uh, with our uh, tenants or our prospective tenants. Some of them are just not ready or capable of providing pop-up service. Uh, I have been meeting a number of catering groups uh, from, you know, the big dogs like McCall's to the small fry uh, who do one-off events uh, to tour them through the facility so they're familiar with our facility. Uh, and then as Bear Bottle moves forward with their project, they will be a key provider of food and beverage. And again, that provides us also an opportunity for a little bit of uh, of the revenue share of those events. So we're we're definitely of like mind on that issue. Great, thank you. And Director Shaw, thank you for sharing the ridership information. I love the trend line, it's going in the right direction. So thank you. And I believe, any other directors and questions at this time? Then I believe we have a security report. Is that correct, Neela? 
We do. We do. We have a security report, but we also have a glitch, a technical glitch that uh, occurred at the beginning of our meeting that Donald's going to mention right now for the public, just in case. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'd like to note that we were alerted by SFGovTV of a temporary glitch in live streaming, which resumed shortly after the meeting began. I'd like to confirm for the purposes of the public watching live stream that we took roll call and have quorum and Chair G needs to leave the meeting at 10 a.m., at which time he had asked Director Chang to leave the meeting. So apologies for the members of the public who had technical difficulties watching me at the very beginning, but um, apologies. Thank, Thank you, you, Mr. Secretary. Thank you. All right, Chair G, we can now go into the uh, security update. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay, Jason, queue up the uh, slides. Good morning, Chair G and directors. Uh, before I begin my presentation, I would like to thank Director Shaw uh, for this opportunity to highlight our security metrics. Next slide, please, Jason. Currently, we're tracking three performance uh, metrics for contract security. Personnel turnover, post-staffing, post-insight competency testing. Personnel turnover. It's important that we retain security uh, personnel for continuity operations. However, when a security officer separates from the transit center, we make every effort to determine what caused uh, the separation while identifying areas of improvement for retention. AUS attained a 22% turnover rate uh, during this period for personnel turnover. Post-staffing. Our critical post that requires continuous staffing. During this period, AUS resulted in a score of a 93%. Post-staffing in-site competency testing. It's a monthly test given randomly to eight security officers over the, over the quarter. One is to ensure the understanding uh, of their assigned post. Two is to ensure that the security officers are delivering customer service. For example, we want them to know the locations of the tenants. We want them to know the locations of the operators to include key bus routes of the operators. Uh, and additionally, you know, key locations within the park. There were 24 tests that was administered during this period, uh, resulting in an 86% score for Allied. Next slide, please. Let's talk about quality of life issues. Uh, and as you can see on the chart, we got it broken down by different sections of, of the transit center, right? And, and it gives us, um, you know, um, when we do have trouble issues, we know what areas in which we need to concentrate on. Um, quality of life issues, Typically, there are non-criminal encounters with SLPD. Uh, vagrancy and suspicious personnel are the two most prevalent issues we deal with daily. Often, uh, these issues uh, are related to substance abuse, mental health, and bad behavior. Next slide, please. Let's talk about part one crimes and part two crimes. Part one crimes are your serious crimes. Part two crimes are your less serious crimes. Part one and part two crimes are two components of the Uniform Crime Reporting Program, commonly referred to as the UCR. The FBI manages the program and defines the crimes within the UCR. Our part one and part two crimes here at the Transit Center, being that we have SFPD on site, our part one, part two crimes roll up into uh, SFPD Southern uh, overall, Southern Station's overall crimes. So let's talk about part one. Um, as you can see in the dark blue uh, in the retail west area, we had nine bicycle uh, thefts that occurred in this area. 
However, uh, we instituted security countermeasures combined with SLPD support, uh, yielded several arrests, thus increasing the area's uh, deterrence. Additionally, uh, we conducted outreach with, uh, with our tenants and operators to raise their situational awareness related to bike thefts. Um, part two, we had three graffiti incidents which required extensive uh, cleaning from janitorial staff, four simple assault cases, minor in nature, basically minor scuffles involving individuals. Next slide, please. Let's talk about reports and arrests. Uh, part one crimes, which we just talked about, part two as well, and quality of life issues are the key drivers for incident reports uh, and arrests. And as we all know, you know, uh, there are different variables to different uh, crimes that take place. Next slide, please. Let's talk about the comparison, right, from the same time period from July, September of 2020 to July, September of uh, 2021. As you know, part one crimes are up about 267%. Part two crimes are up about 56%. Quality of life issues are down about 16%. And um, that quality of life issues, that, that number is going to always be somewhat high uh, based off the, uh, the, you know, the foot traffic that we get uh, uh, and some of the things that occur within the vicinity of the transit center, uh, in particular with uh, suspicious activities, suspicious persons. And the reports and arrests are down about 26%. Um, for the most part in 2020, uh, as we all know, uh, that the transit center was inactive due to the pandemic. However, since vaccines have been produced, local municipalities and businesses have reopened uh, as we've seen an increase in pedestrian uh, traffic. And that alluded to what John uh, showed with the chart about the uh, uh, ridership uh, and with Fitness SF increasing their membership. Um, those are some of the factors that contribute to the increase of our part one and part two crime. And as we get more people coming back to the transit center, more um, uh, tenants that are open up, uh, and then we would make those adjustments, but it definitely will have an impact of our part one and part two crimes. Before I close, I just want to recognize SLPD for, for what they do. Uh, very invaluable to our operations. A lot of other um, uh, Organizations are in awe that we have them on site with us 24-7. We never have to dial 911. We never have to dial a non-emergency. Um, um, they're able to dial up additional resources uh, from Southern Station or from any other station within the city. Um, and then they have that connectivity, and so do we uh, with uh, Highway Patrol. Uh, and so I want to thank them for uh, for what they do. I want to thank the contract security uh, personnel for for what they do, as well as the individuals that work in the, uh, the security operations center. And with that said, uh, this concludes my presentation. I'd be glad to answer any questions. Thank you, Mr. Harris. Um, any questions from directors? Director Lipkin, and then Director Shaw. Thank you. Rodney, thanks uh, very much for the report, I, and I appreciate Dr. Sh uh, Director Shaw's request to have this uh, come to the board. I just wanted to better understand the the metrics that you showed on slide one, you know, in terms of the various rankings across the three criteria that you evaluate. How does that get used, and what does it mean to be scoring a two or a three or, you know, a one on that metric? As it relates to the personnel turnover, the post staffing and, and post site competency testing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but, so basically, we looked at and it's basically industry standard, right? What what the industry is is it's uh, 
um, um, scoring contract security for those particular areas for personnel turnover, post-staffing and post-insight competency testing. Uh, we know uh, uh, contract security has historically has a high turnover rate, uh, and generally it runs about 20% um, per month. Uh, with turnover rate. And so um, as you know, we do the best we can to partner with contract security personnel to to see what we can do to retain individuals and then work with them uh, um, as far as from a professional development standpoint. Uh, post staffing, those are critical posts. So we're, we're, we're basically measuring, you know, you know, X number of hours per um, quarter that they, they yeah. must meet. Go ahead. Sorry, I, I understand the, the three metrics and why you're measuring them. I guess my question is more when the contractor scores a two one month and a you know one next month, what does it mean for the is there any implication for the contract or is this internal tracking for our own, you know, no, knowledge of how we're doing essentially? Yeah, there is, I mean, there's no ramifications per se for the contractor, uh, but we do sit down and we talk about, you know, um, um, areas to, to ensure that they're improving, right? We want them to 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 maintain um, um, a, a, a certain level. And so it helps guide our decision making and, and, and to see what areas in which we have gaps. Okay. I guess the only thought that I had just in reaction to that, I mean, if it's not being used for contracts, it may be less, you know, contract performance kind of uh, evaluation, it may be less important. But on the first one, especially what I noticed was that for the highest score, basically was a turnover rate of zero. And I just, that is never going to be achieved. And so, you know, if it, if it matters that, <laughs> you know, if it, usually I'm, I'm a fan of, if we're going to measure something, let's measure it on ways that are reasonable and achievable. And so, just seeing that one definitely jumped out to me as like, well, that nobody's ever going to get a four on that, which maybe that doesn't matter, but you know, just a, as a comment on, on what you shared. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Rodney, for the report. And just to go back to that same page, I think I think it's great. The competency one is very interesting because I think that shows that even if the turnover is high, if their competency is still good and their testing is still good, that shows that they're doing a good. They're doing good training, even with new people and stuff. And I think it's really important uh, that they have that background of, you know, who's at the transit center and to help people. So um, that's a, a really interesting metric, and I'm glad to see it. Um, I also, on the other, I don't remember the other pages, but uh, I'm glad to see we have no human trafficking, but I'm also very glad to see that you highlighted that because it's that's really important and sometimes gets lost in all of this. And especially in a city like San Francisco, um, uh, in some ways I'm a little surprised it's low, but um, I'm just really glad we're watching for that. Um, and then in regards to the bicycle thefts, are these thefts that were at a bike rack or are these thefts where we didn't have something available for them to keep their bikes and then they disappeared. Um, good. Uh, thank you for your question. These these thefts occurred at the bike racks. Uh, and so um, we've had cases, uh, situal instances where individuals have brought a bike to the bike rack, secured it, and then stole another bike from the bike rack, right? It's, you know, maybe it was upgrading and things of that nature. And um, we've seen it, it only takes about 30 seconds, right? They have this nice tool that they use to, to cut the U-lock and then they're in and out. And so the way that they can, can camouflage themselves when they get to the bike rack, right? Uh, as if, you know, they're there, you know, you know, securing their bike, but actually in all actuality, they're scoping out, you know, a, you know, a, a bike that they can easily grab. 
And so we went again, we went back, you know, we've educated, you know, the operators and the tenants, and then we've run some operations, don't want to go into detail, but we ran some operations with SFPD, uh, with our SOC, keeping the area under surveillance and, and, and looking for some of the mannerisms and habits of individuals, right, so that we can get people to roll over. And uh, and that's how we would, SFPD was able to make those arrests. And um, I think for right now, the word is out there that those particular areas in which uh, those thefts occurred, uh, we, we're now more, um, we've bolstered our efforts in there. Yeah, no, that's great. That makes a difference. Thank you very much. Thank you for the report. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Directors, I'd like to just make a quick announcement that Director Forbes has joined us and with Chair G's departure, Director Chang will now leave uh, the, the meeting. Thank you, Mr. Secretary. Thank you, Director Shaw, for the uh, request for the item and your, your, your prior uh, discussion just now. Mr. Harris, thank you, Rodney Harris. Thank you so much for the report. I just wanted to follow up, if you don't mind, on Director Shaw's line of, um, of, of questioning. Is there a need perhaps for bike cages or bike link, uh, more secure bicycle parking um, as a potential additional strategy? I, I, they have these at BART stations, for example. We have them here, um, um, Director Chang. Um, we um, we try to encourage that at times, right? Uh, but I think it's more of a convenience factor uh, with the uh, bike racks. Uh, it's easy for them to, you know, secure it and then walk to, you know, just say fitness itself. Um, yeah. But uh, we've done everything in our power to educate, you know, um, the tenants and, and, and uh, their customers of what's okay. going on as it relates to the bike thefts. Oh, thank you very, very much. Okay, Mr. Secretary, should we see if there's any public comment? There is public comment. Um, moderator? Uh, Hello, caller, please state your name. Your two minutes begin now. Good morning, directors. This is Ron Urban, San Jose. Um, I raised my hand at least four items ago to bring to your attention that this meeting was not being broadcast on the SELGOV TV, which means that this, this, this meeting should not have been allowed to start in the first place. Point number one. Point number two is that government code section 54953.3 requires that you allow a member of the public to address you when they so indicate been trying to do this for the last four items have been ignored. So I'm hereby citing you with four violations of government code 54953.3. And I'd like to remind you that the TJPA is a creature of the legislature and your ability to conduct meetings is a privilege that can be terminated by the same legislature. Thank you. Any, thank you. Any other comments, Mr. Secretary? That concludes public comment. I will proceed to call the next item. Thank you. Directors, item six is the CAC update and CAC Vice Chair Aftab will address you on this item. Welcome, Mr. Vice Chair. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Uh, can everyone hear me okay? Yes, we can. Great. Um, uh, thanks again um, for having me this morning, uh, stepping in for Chair Holt this uh, for this meeting. 
Um, I'll give a quick rundown of um, our meeting last week. Um, I just want us to be started off by welcoming two new CAC members. So we're, we're glad to see our, our ranks replenished there. So, so that's great. And, and we're starting to get some really great perspectives from them. Uh, and so it's great to welcome Gabriel and Hunter. Um, second, we really wanted to echo our excitement about the passage of the infrastructure bill. Um, there were some requests from members of the CAC to learn more um, about the exact mechanics of the bill, um, exactly how the TGAPA is approaching that. Um, we know some requests have been submitted to the FTA um, already, but I think just giving more of a layperson understanding um, of how these kinds of bills operate um, and, and how the TGAPA can work with them and, and, and how uh, we can then benefit from bills like this being passed. And so um, that was a request. And I think we definitely appreciate that. I know I would learn a lot in that process as well. We're thrilled to see more events happening um, at the center as well. Uh, the, you know, the addition of a foosball table is also a lot of fun, um, but it's nice to see life returning um, um, to the center. Um, and, and, and some of the peak numbers um, um, that the staff report uh, mentioned as well are also pretty, pretty great to hear. Um, also just want to echo the importance of uh, some of the continued wayfinding efforts. Uh, we appreciate getting updates there, but just the more and more it becomes easier to get around, I think the better while recognizing that that's going to evolve as more people return. Um, we're also happy to see progress on leasing the whole center, um, and, and also I think that's part of, you know, sort of the a return to, to, to normalcy there. Uh, the security update is also helpful, and I think we look forward to getting that on a quarterly basis. Um, there were some questions um, from CAC members um, around some of the training um, and, and grounds for personnel um, making stops and, and um, taking the sort of actions that they're that, that they're used to taking, um, and, and some of the uh, methods and judgments that they have to employ on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, we absolutely, you know, we, we trust your judgment, but obviously I think it's healthy for us to have a dialogue and conversation around um, those sorts of uh, stops and, and and how and why they're happening. Um, and so uh, appreciated um, uh, the security update there and a lot of the questions we were able to ask and, and they were also subsequently very well answered. Uh, we also received an update um, on the DTX in terms of different approaches from a mining perspective. Uh, and I thought that was very uh, well done and very educational for all of us. Um, in particular, um, understanding like there are various approaches that some might be faster, some might be cost effective. And I think as members of the public, we're always invested in, in both in terms of what can get um, the DTX up and running as quickly as possible, but while also being reasonable about costs um, and expenses because we are at the end of the day using um, taxpayer money. And so, uh, really appreciate um, the attention to detail there um, and the continued focus there and, and, and the board's efforts. Um, and last but not least, just wanted to wish everyone happy Thanksgiving. Thank you so much, uh, Vice Chair Apta. Great report and also thanks to you and your uh, co-CAC members um, and happy Thanksgiving to you all as well. Any um, questions or comments from other directors? Otherwise, Mr. Secretary? Seeing, seeing none and seeing uh, none, okay. I will proceed to call your next item. Thank you. Directors, item seven is public comment, an opportunity for members of the public to address the authority or matters that are not on today's calendar. Colleagues, any items or suggestions? Mr. Secretary, you see any? Uh, seeing no directors and also seeing no public comment at this time. I will proceed to call your next item. Directors, your next item is the consent calendar. All matters listed are considered to be routine and will be acted upon by a single vote. There will be no separate discussion on these of these items unless a member of the board of the public so request in which event the matter shall be removed from the consent calendar and considered separately. I have not received any indication from members of the board or the public. 
but I am checking for public comment. And there is none. Is there a first and a second? I'd like to move the consent calendar. And I'll second. That's the first by Director Lipkin and the second by Director Forbes. Uh, I would now take a roll call vote. Director Chang? Aye. Chang, aye. Director Forbes? Aye. Forbes, aye. Director Lipkin? Aye. Lipkin, aye. Director Shaw? Aye. Shaw, aye. Director Tomlin? Aye. Tomlin, aye. There are five ayes. Item eight, the consent calendar is approved. And Director Paul, I'd like to note for the record that you didn't see any request for public comment on that item, correct? That is correct. There was no member of the public that indicated they wished to make a comment. Next item, please. Directors, item nine is authorizing the interim executive director to execute a professional service services agreement for construction management and engineering services with the bench of firms consisting of Debris Inc. and Zoom Engineering Inc. to provide services on an as-needed basis for five-year terms with options to extend for two additional two-year terms as long as the total compensation under all bench agreements does not exceed two million. And Dennis Tershon, TJPA Senior Construction Manager, will present this item. Thank you. Welcome, Mr. Tershon. Good morning, directors. Uh, that's a very long agenda item, you know, name. So it somewhat gives my whole intro right in the name itself. Uh, so we can move on to the next uh, slide, Jason, because uh, we do seek a bench uh, for this, but I wanted to provide a background uh, to why uh, we would be seeking uh, these professional service agreements. Because as warranties expire on the facility, you know, which is including the bus ramp and the transit center itself, the entire facility that was constructed during phase one, uh, there's warranties that are there and uh, facility improvements that are aging, you know, over time. You know, they're still looked at as new, but it is, uh, you know, they are starting to get some age. Capital repairs replacement efforts will uh, begin to accelerate over the coming years. Some of these capital works uh, re do require certain expertise or oversight that it is beyond really the scope of the engineers uh, team and performing day-to-day -day maintenance. You know, this really would, you know, it's uh, uh, an as needed or an on-call element as well too. And I do want to note that some of this capital work that we're refer referencing is is non-DTX. It's, it's non-phase, you know, the it's phase one uh, capital that's already been constructed. It's not, you know, anything related to uh, the upcoming DTX. And then finally, one of the background elements too is that uh, there are neighboring projects that will in time have construction uh, that will uh, be close to us or, or in, involve us uh, that require compliance and we we'll want to have some type of an oversight and really to have expertise, uh, structural engineers to uh, other elements uh, that would uh, be at our uh, disposal, you know, in, a, in an a la carte kind of format on this on-call uh, two contracts if we need certain protections to ensure uh, that the train box and the bus ramps are, are taken care of. Uh, next slide, Jason. Some of these uh, projects from a capital standpoint and these capital projects that we started to put together a list. And, and of course, if we were in City Hall, I would never show you a slide like this, but I really do wanna hit on the the high points are elements such as uh, on Howard Street, uh, there's uh, gate improvements or upgrades. Uh, 
Uh, also a need for such as a headache bar, which is a, a vertical clearance bar, you know, at elements from Howard Street. So uh, fencing that could will be added, uh, bollards that need to be painted, uh, various elements that are starting to be created on a capital uh, list as we start going through, and it's been operational. You, you, there are certain elements that do require uh, some improvements, and then uh, this bench would be an assist uh, or an augmentation to the current existing staff. Uh, next slide, Jason. So what we've identified because of these these type of capital projects that we foresee, you know, over over time, you know, coming up, that there would be a need for construction management services. Uh, that would augment us, you know, to advise and manage in areas like for pre-construction. If there is an element, you know, there's certain level of projects that uh, we need them to essentially um, administer, such as uh, like as a resident engineer or something to, to help manage the on-site work uh, or uh, uh, outreach to this TJP community, such as the tenants or our neighbors, and ultimately a dispute resolution or claims process. Uh, we would see as a, your typical construction management services that uh, we saw for to support these these capital projects, and also an engineering service element uh, for highly skilled and, and experienced structural engineers that could be at our fingertips as needed uh, to you know to to ensure that our facilities are are being uh, uh, covered appropriately. So knowing that we had this scope of service, we took this and Jason, next slide. Uh, we packaged up the scope of service and put them into an RFP that was issued back in June. Went through a process, we received eight proposals uh, and had a selection committee evalu evaluate these eight proposals uh, to get it down where three firms met uh, all the requirements uh, in the proposal. And then that brought us onto uh, the contract uh, negotiations. Uh, next slide, Jason. So of those eight, uh, the three, as I noted, that moved on to the interview, they also uh, had a successful interview that brought us on to the three in uh, bold and the double starred uh, were uh, met, went through the con uh, contract negotiations. Two of the three uh, we are executed uh, by the consultants. Uh, the one TRC, uh, they felt that they could not, um, you know, use our boilerplate uh, contract that had been used for years on other CM contracts that we had, and we just couldn't come to terms on negotiations, and they chose to not execute. So therefore, uh, we advanced with two, and Jason, you know, go to the next slide, please. Uh, with Daubry Incorporated, uh, their 91% SBE uh, projected participation with a, an expertise that we've identified is really with this neighboring parcels, the structural engineers, base building type elements uh, as needed or, or, or an on-call and then Zune Engineering, who at this point would look at 100% SPE participation for elements such as the bus ramp, civil and site work. There is, uh, due to the nature of both of these companies, there would be some overlap. So we do have redundancy on these as well too. Uh, hence the construction management bench element. It gives us flexibility uh, and has access to what we would need uh, on an on-call type basis. Uh, the contract award would not be, uh, would not exceed $2 million. And that does not guarantee that's strictly an on-call. Also, it would be uh, via notices to proceed based on available funding. 
which I will, of course, be looking to Franklin uh, and others for those. And then we've identified the contract duration. We've kept it at five years uh, with the potential for uh, two two-year time extensions. So as a wrap up, Jason, last one. Uh, we, uh, we do uh, request uh, the board's authorization to execute these two professional service agreements to create this construction bench uh, with the five years, uh, with two years extensions, not to exceed $2 million with Daubry and Zoom Engineering. So that completes my presentation. If there's any questions, uh, definitely be able to field them now. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Trishon. Yes, Director Shaw. Yeah, I uh, I think the slides answered. I didn't notice some of that information in what we had in our packet, but uh, I'm glad to see the SPE participation. And I, I think you said that there's some overlap in these because I'm used to doing these bench contracts. And a lot of times um, you get many of them because one can only do certain work and the other one can do certain work. And with only two of them, are you, um, and I see you kind of have them split apart focused on areas, but you're saying there is interlock. I mean, there's things that they can both do so that there is some kind of competition within uh, these contracts as well. Cause I'm used to usually having more than two than we do when we do a bench contract. So. Yeah. The, the nature of both Aubrey and, and Zoom, they both absolutely have some overlap. Uh, so we would have redundancy and for lack of a, a competition element, but really they're, uh, this gives us, uh, if one doesn't, can't provide something, we can always go to the other one and they can and, and provide the services that we need. So we feel very confident that the, the two can provide the, what we need. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Any other questions, directors? Vice Mr. Secretary, maybe see a public comment. Uh, yes, moderator, please let me first call her. Hello, caller. Please state your name. Your two minutes begin now. Yes, my name is Ted Olson. I've been trying to get in. It's uh, been some years since I served on TJPA CAC retiring as chair. I'm glad to see that the uh, CAC update that I initiated is still a regular item on the board's agenda. Uh, happy to see Chairman G is still there. Raphael Mandelman is my supervisor. Uh, very good to see all of you. But today I'd ask you to officially name the path surrounding the rooftop park, the civic way, which indeed describes your very board and deliberations over these many years and for at least a decade to come. I suggest labeling the path in four places on the ends and at the middle uh, where the escalator uh, arrives and you can move to uh, the roadside. Uh, you're managing the TGAPA plan serves as an example today for Link 21. And of course, it's so good to see Tilly Chang on your board right now. Uh, and I'm offering to be on that CAC as well. So uh, specifically, I ask that you name the path the civic way, because I think it's very important to the entire story of TJPA and now of Link 21, which includes transit and equity in its very purpose and plan. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Olson, for your past service and your continued uh, input. Thank you. Mr. Secretary, more co other callers? That concludes public comment uh, under this item. Is there a first and the second? 
Motion to approve. Thank you. Second, Tumlin. Thank you. First by Director Shaw, second by Director Tumlin. I will now take a roll call vote. Director Chang? Aye. Chang, aye. Director Forbes? Aye. Forbes, aye. Director Lipkin? Aye. Lipkin, aye. Director Shaw? Aye. Shaw, aye. Director Tumlin? Aye. Tumlin, aye. There are five ayes. Item nine is approved. Thank you. Our next item, please. Yes. Directors, item 10 is the San Francisco Peninsula Rail Program Executive Steering Committee update, and Michelle Bouchard, Acting Executive Director of Caltrain and ESC Chair, will present this item. Great. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Secretary. Uh, good morning, directors. Uh, I'll, we'll provide a, a, a brief PowerPoint, only two slides, including the, the cover slide here. Um, we continue to make good progress on advancing the DTX project. Uh, as mentioned by Interim ED Gonzalez at the beginning of this meeting, um, we are really making great progress going through the federal programs that really, really are geared towards ensuring uh, funding for this program. Uh, we submitted our FTA letter to request entry into the project development phase of the New Starts program. And the project team continues to advance the uh, FRA's CRISI application. Over the last month, the IPMT has worked on the following tasks, which are in line with the accelerated project master schedule. These include uh, discussing the in-progress benefits and business case study, uh, completing the quarterly update to the DTX risk register, and discussing the project delivery method and contracting study. The last item is a particularly important task uh, among many and all of the tasks in the plan, but the project staff has been advancing this one. Uh, and I wanna quickly preview some of the important work that's happening on this particular task. Um, the project delivery method and contracting study is an MOU task with the purpose of identifying and evaluating contracting packages and alternative methods for design and constructing DTX. The team has been evaluating the pros and cons for several approaches. Among the issues being examined are risk allocation between the parties, cash flow requirements, uh, delivery schedule associated to each of these delivery methods, the legal framework for setting up these methods for success, industry feedback and appetite for very large contracts, uh, identifying the skills required on the part of the delivery agency to ensure successful delivery of the program, uh, contract packaging, uh, and uh, last but certainly not least, operator and maintainer roles and requirements as part of those packages. Um, because of the importance of the decisions that uh, need to be made around the evaluation of these pros and cons, uh, and the fact that the ESC takes very seriously its role in advising the TJPA. Uh, the ESC will consider the study results over the course of both the November and December meetings. In November, we'll have a staff presentation and discussion uh, around these, uh, these, uh, uh, the study for project delivery, uh, and that's happening tomorrow. And then in December, We'll continue the discussion, and at that point, we anticipate forwarding a recommendation to the TJPA board in time for the January meeting of this board. Um, if we can just go to the second slide. Um, so here you have the three-month look ahead. 
that, as you see, reflects the January presentation uh, of the project delivery method. Um, uh, in today's meeting, the board will receive an update on design configuration changes, which reflect further refinement of DTX design while reducing the overall construction cost. Next month, the DTX project director will present a recap of project accomplishments, um, meeting the expectations of the accelerated work plan that was approved by the board in April of this year. Uh, and it's just important to note that the look ahead schedule has been modified to reflect an updated progression of the project delivery method and contracting study uh, to include a more thorough discussion of the recommended actions to the board in January. So it's, it's reflecting the fact that the ESC is choosing to take two months to really deliberate over what is a, uh, a very critical topic to the success of the, of the delivery of DTX. Um, so with that, I'll conclude my report. Thank, thank you very much, um, ESC Chair Bouchard. Any other questions or comments from directors? It's certainly been a busy period, and I want to thank you and the whole team for uh, for all the progress. Um, as a as a colleague on the ESC as well as <laughs> on behalf of on behalf of uh, at least Supervisor Mandelman. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Tilly. Seeing no public comment on this item, I will proceed to call your next item. Up. Oh, never mind. A hand was raised at the last minute. Uh, moderator. Hello, caller. Please state your name. Your two minutes begin now. Hello again, directors. Roland Ruban, San Jose. So, as you can see now, as we've been saying for probably the last 10 years, there, wasn't, there never was a need for a third track. Um, between Fulton Townsend and um, and the um, the transit center. So at this point in time, there's absolutely nothing that is stopping us from revisiting the Seventh Street alignment, which, as you know, uh, it's impossible to drive three uh, tracks through that alignment. And if you do, you're going to find that costs are going to be reduced by half. The project will be delivered at least twice as fast because it will be combined with with, with the PAX. And um, even if we don't have the the connection to these Bay, we'll be able to run 12, uh, 12 trains an hour per direction, uh, just like we proved. I think it was uh, back in 2015. And the track work is a direct replica of the approach we took into St. Pancras for the 2012 Olympics. So I hope that the TJPA will uh, consider the alternative because quite frankly, if you don't, somebody else will. Thank you. Any other public comment, Mr. Secretary? Uh, that concludes, concludes public comment. Uh, under this item, I'll proceed by your next item. Directors, item 11 is a presentation on design configuration changes for the downtown rail extension and Alfonso Rodriguez, TJPA DTX project director will present. Thank you. Thank you, Donald. Thank you, Chair Chang. Um, item 11 is a presentation of certain design configuration changes for DTX. Now, during an earlier presentation of the phasing study, I had mentioned that as the project team uh, continues to develop and refine design, from time to time, we would bring resulting configuration changes to the board. And this item includes two such instances. The first is a reduction of the um, third track from the 4th and Townsend station 
to about midway between Harrison and Folsom Streets on 2nd Street. And the second is a modification of the track and platforms at the 4th and Townsend Station. So let's bring up page four, which is the schematic. Great, thank you. Um, let's scroll down so we can see the top half. Oh, there we go, thank you. The baseline concept at the 4th and Townsend Station includes a three-track configuration uh, through the station supported by a center platform for Caltrain's, uh, Caltrain service stock and a third passing track for California high-speed rail. At the time this baseline was developed, California high-speed rail had not planned a service stop at this location. With the proposed reconfiguration of the 4th and Townsend Station, various track configurations from this location inbound to the transit center. Um, you know what, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, Jason, could you bring up page four, which is the schematic? This is, this is um, there we go, thank you. So um, what I wanted to point out with the station layout uh, cross section that you saw, uh, that enabled a different uh, configuration that I've got on the screen. The phasing study operations analysis showed this new configuration supports the respective operator service plan of eight peak hour Caltrain trains in each direction and four peak hour high speed rail trains in each direction. In that um, scenario and in those cases, performance met the operator service standards, including perturbed situations. The reduction in three tracks also allows a reduced tunnel di diameter size. And compared with the baseline configuration, this change results in a cost reduction of about $200 million. And these are 2027 dollars um, representing the midpoint of construction. So in the illustration, you see that the top schematic shows the um, center platform at 4th and Townsend to the right side of the screen and three tracks, the top track being a through running track. Um, the bottom scenario represents that adjusted proposed um, design configuration that I talked about. But because of that new configuration, we can reduce a substantial amount of third track represented in red. And that's that testing that I mentioned that was conducted under the phasing study. So why don't we go to that sectional view that we had a moment ago, uh, page five. There we go. The baseline fourth and Townsend concept is shown at the top with the track towards the right, accommodating a through nonstop service that I mentioned with two tracks to the left, providing service stops at this location. And it's supported by a center platform. Now this configuration was developed reflecting California high-speed rails earlier operating plan of through running. The cross section below is that revised station concept with the two track configuration supported by that same center platform for Caltrain service stops and the addition of two side platforms to support high-speed rail service stops. While this new configuration results in a wider station box, it accommodates service stops for both operators and eliminates conflicting inbound and outbound movements to and from the transit center, enabling that reduction of third track that I mentioned. In addition, the station box width adds about 17 feet of additional subsurface encroachment into the Caltrain 4th and King Rail Yard property along the south side of uh, Townsend Street. This additional area measures about 0.16 acres when taking into account the length of the entire station box and, and the egress and the surface ingress egress structures that we refer to as bump outs. 
Let's go to the page eight table. There we go, thank you. This table shows the comparison between the two station configurations. And there are a greater number of stairs and escalators in the proposed uh, configuration because of the increased number of platforms. As I mentioned, the station is about 17 feet wider below ground and about four feet wider at the surface. And the resulting encroachment into the rail yard is about half an acre or about 0.16 acres more than the baseline configuration. And by the way, I wanna point out that this property is privately owned. Caltrain occupies the site through a surface easement. Let's go to the aerial map, which is page six. Thank you. So I wanted to point out the project team has been working directly with the property owner of the rail yards, Caltrain and city planning on the proposed configuration as they examine redevelopment of the site. The goal for all of us is to have the fourth and Townsend uh, station and, and the surface entrances and exits on the south side of Townsend Street work as a, in an integrated fashion to whatever proposed development occurs. The larger station box at this location does add costs, which is estimated to be an additional $150 million um, in 2027 dollars. However, I wanted to point out the net impact of these two um, configurations, which are linked, result in an overall $50 million reduction to the project. The ESC is supportive of these two changes as recommended by the IPMT. So as the project team further develops these two configuration changes, we'll also prepare the required CEQA and NEPA documentation during the FTA project development phase, which we expect to enter shortly. And we'll bring these back and other proposed changes that result from um, the phasing study that was approved a couple months back by the board and any other design development changes for the board's environmental consideration and formal adoption into the project baseline. So this concludes my presentation. Thank you board members and I um, am available to answer any questions. Thank you, Director, uh, Project Director Rodriguez. Uh, great work by you and your team, along with um, the operators, and particularly the Caltrain uh, team as well. It's a fantastic finding. Um, comments, questions from other directors? Seeing none. Uh, shall we open up to public comment then? Yes. Uh, moderator? I just want to. Hello, caller. Please state your name. Your two minutes begin now. Hello again, directors from Robert San Jose. Um, so, I already mentioned earlier the um, elimination of the third track, which now enables the Seventh Street alignment, which some of you may or may not be familiar with, but that um, alignment uh, does not require tearing up Howard. Actually, it doesn't go anywhere near Howard because the southbound tunnel uh, gets into the Transbay terminal uh, via MENA and the northbound uh, um, track gets into Transbay ter uh, terminal via Natoma, at which point the trough is completely reduced because it's split into two separate mini troughs with three tracks each, three tracks northbound and three tracks southbound. Now, Moving on to um, Fort and Townsend, the German rail operator, Deutsche Bahn, known as the earlier train operator, 
never had any intention of stopping at 14,000 for obvious reasons, because they, if they did, they would no longer be high-speed rail. So what's required um, at 14,000 is actually four tracks instead of four platforms. Right now, you've only got two, you've got two tracks and four platforms. This is actually backwards. You basically, we need a central island and that you need um, a passing tracks, which by the way, now that you know about the Amazon warehouse, at night, the southbound passing track could be shut down um, to passenger rail traffic and used to actually get goods in and out of the um, um, Amazon warehouse. And my last closing point, if you look at these uh, red platforms at 4,000, is that anybody who has ever traveled on high-speed rail in France the TGV says level boarding platforms with regional uh, trains, uh, which are 22 inches, which is exactly where the uh, Caltrain EMUs are. Thank you very much. Any other comments, Mr. Secretary? That concludes public comments. At this time, I will proceed to call the next item. At this time, the board is scheduled to go into closed session pursuant to government code section 54956.8. We have not received any indication that a member of the public wishes to comment on the item listed, but they have an opportunity to do so now. Um, just for the purposes of the public that's watching, um, Deborah, do you expect there to be any action following closed session today? I'm not anticipating there'll be any reportable action out of closed session. Thank you. That said, directors, please bear with me while we take it from public to closed session.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television. SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
The TJPA board meeting is back in session. Directors, item 15 is the announcement of closed session. As to item 14, conference with real property negotiators regarding the parcel F development site, uh, negotiation with F4 Transbay Partners LLC regarding price and terms of payment for easement, there is no action to report. Thank you. Directors, that concludes the business before you today. Thank you, everybody. Please have a safe and relaxing Thanksgiving. Thank you. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Thank you. Thank you.